Hello, this is Father Louis Skirty back with Michael D. Benedetto III, practicing attorney in New York, New Jersey, and I've known Michael for many years. And Michael, thank you very much thank for you, having Paolo. me again. Appreciate it. <laughs> um, there are so many aspects of the law and the church that I want to talk about, I, I want to address. Uh, but I'm not going to be in charge of them because it's ask a bunch of questions. So first of all, let me start with, after our first initials, um, interview was very informative. You spoke about a group that we're going to eventually talk about, the Alliance Defending Freedom Group. We'll get to that in the next session. But right now, what issues should Catholics be concerned about regarding their role as United States citizens in, in our country? I think something that they should think is the top of the list is the concept of how do we defend and articulate and not be afraid of being pro-life. I think that's a huge thing going on right now in the country. I mean, so your interest in pro-life has nothing to do with what you're hired to do in your law firm. No, okay, no, they're, they're completely separate things. Yeah, okay. I, don't, I don't, I don't address any type of religious freedom, pro-life issues in my day-to-day. -day day, right. Okay. This is just a separate. So this interest. is good. So yeah. this is research you've done and you write about in your blog. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's good. I write good. about that on my own. Yep. Yes. Um, but I think the pro-life issue is very important, you know, because I think there's a lot of misleading going on by leaders. Um, I mean, you have politicians that are Catholic and then they go up for communion and they would have committed, you know, uh, public uh, manifestations of saying that abortion is, is okay or they're signing a bill that's saying abortion is okay. And that's making it appear to people that, you know, that are Catholics throughout the day to day. Oh, okay, that's okay if this person said that, you know, and they're signing bills. It's 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 okay to kind of hmm. be a little bit wobbly on that it's issue. To fudge, it's yeah, to fudge because um, scandal has always yeah, been the, a, a, a very subtle but major issue in our church. It goes back to Jesus talking about you know if you scandalize somebody, the little ones he calls yeah. them, uh, better you should have a, a millstone tied around your neck and be thrown in the yeah. river. So. Scandal, which is not an overt sin, but something that you're doing that just sends the wrong message to the public. Yeah. And we're concerned right now to the Christian Catholic public. Yeah. And I mean, there's a concern about that because it's almost saying that you could view Catholicism as a, as a cafeteria, you know, and you're taking a lot of Catholics with you that would, you know, that would have otherwise been influenced to be more pro-life, you know, because you're saying, oh, you know, it's okay. I could vote this way or that way and such. And so it's a, it's a very difficult issue. And I think canon law, they, there are provisions in there about the concept of scandal, like you said, and there's different parts of it. And this is something that I think is important to recognize. You have some bishops that would give communion. You have some bishops that don't give communion. Um, and this is the common criticism I've heard from even some people on one side of the equation, even some priests, for example, they've said, oh, it's not my place to deny somebody Eucharist. And then my response to them is this. I said, it's not you who is, you know, that, that, that has that responsibility. You're actually defending the Eucharist. Like you're defending the Eucharist. You're defending Christ by not allowing his body to be knowingly um, given to somebody at, at, at mass that you know has made a public manifestation of supporting these things. Mm. Um, and I'm not saying that the person shouldn't be loved. I'm not saying the person shouldn't be shown mercy. 
you could bless them. They could come up and instead of giving them communion, you give them a blessing. I know priests, you know, can do that. It's within their power. You know, if they, they do the typical, yeah. you know, put the arms on the chest, you know, and, you know, bless the forehead. I mean, that could be a, yeah. you know, a, 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 a valid middle ground. Mm-hmm. So I think it's the wrong question for saying it's not my place. None of this is mine. None of this is me. None of this is self. This is our call to defend Christ, you know. Yeah, and I think maybe some of us as priests take too much um, egocentric, Christocentric theology upon ourselves. It, we're not Christ. We're Alta Christi, okay? We're, we're commissioned and ordained and consecrated to do Christ's work. And giving the Eucharist, it's not a political thing taking the Eucharist and giving it to someone. It's, uh, I, I'm an instrument. So I'm yeah. doing what what Christ has asked us to yeah. do, and and the I have to say the hierarchy of the church is in such a way that we are under a bishop. Every diocese is under a bishop, and the church is under a bishop, Bishop of Rome. Um, and we sort of take our we don't sort of take we we take our guidance and lead from our bishops, and it causes confusion, as you mentioned, in one diocese, if the bishop says no, and the other diocese said, okay, you know, like, come on, guys, get your act together. They're apostolic delegates. They are the successors of the apostles. So you go back to, what would Jesus have said? You know, you guys are representing me as I send you out. You're representing me. What are you doing? And, oh, I'm doing it my way. I'm doing it your way. I'm doing it his way. We got to do a Christ's way. Christ's way. He's number one. Yeah. And I think that's my common theme that I try to explain to people that are looking at it from that egocentric way. It's Christ, you know. And so I think a lot of guidance could be had. Hopefully the church continues to evolve in their decision making, putting out more guidance and maybe making more uh, more prevalent the understanding of canon law on these issues. Like canon law is, is, is it seems to be pretty strict in the catechism. I mean, you could be driving somebody to an abortion facility. You could be um you know endorsing them it could be a phone call saying oh, okay you know you could have the abortion even if you're not taking them there you're still part of the process like we can't foster a culture of death you know we have to foster a culture of life mm, and mm. so would I that think, be guilty by association yeah yeah without doing that <laughs> legal term and and i would challenge all politicians this is on both sides of the aisle you know there's always debate to fund planned parenthood not to fund planned parenthood all this stuff why don't you just say this why don't we actually try to push for funding for crisis pregnancy centers for crisis pregnancy centers i'm hearing a lot about defunding and fine you want to make that as an argument but it doesn't always really work because planned parenthood is funded anyway in the budget um so why don't we why aren't people talking about why don't we fund these organizations you want to be for women well let's help women in crisis pregnancy centers you know let's give them earmarked money you know that for that that the budget is going into each year in congress like why Mm -hmm. we should be demanding our politicians ask for something not always just being being super super negative they need to also ask for something for good you know that's mm. what their duty is mm. and then naturally i think the progression will end up working out in our favor because people will realize that and these would be all politicians catholic and non-catholic yeah catholic and non-public right. you know put in the budget i demand earmark funding for said large crisis pregnancy center i know they exist there's plenty in this state um uh, plenty around the country that are doing great work for people i, mean, I get mail all the time our, our, our Knights of Columbus actually donate to these ones every single year. So 
if we could donate at the Knights of Columbus level on councils, right. why don't we put it in the budget for Congress? I mean, if Planned Parenthood could get money, why don't we get our money too mm-hmm. for these mm-hmm. people? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, real yeah. quick, you, only because you mentioned Knights of Columbus, yeah. and I've had some members of Knights of Columbus yeah. on uh, yeah. my program. Uh, just tell our audience. Who the Knights of Columbus is, in a nutshell. Okay, sure. So the um, Knights of Columbus was founded by Father Michael McGivney in the 1800s. And at that time in Connecticut, there was a lot of um, situations that were happening. There was a lot of disease, a lot of um, widows. And Father McGivney wanted to be able to support the women, support the families that had lost uh, the husband, the bread maker, um, the breadwinner. Um, and these families. So he started this fraternal organization of men that would come together to help their communities. And as it has evolved throughout the years, it's become a very prime organization right in the forefront of the pro-life movement mm-hmm. um, in so many regards for the community, uh, for helping the poor, a lot of things, but really, really strong pro-life, praying at crisis pregnancy centers, raising money for sonograms at, at mm, crisis, crisis pregnancy mm. centers, having something called the Silver Rose Flower, which goes around the country every year before landing in Mexico at Our Lady of Guadalupe to raise awareness for the pro-life cause. We did that at our church a couple years ago, actually. So it's very nice. And my dad is organizing it again for this year. So they do a lot of pro-life things for the community. They donate to pro-life causes, and they really just want to make a better community, respecting Christ's values and marrying virtue. Um, so that's all part of what the mission yeah, and only, is. Yeah, and, and just I want to throw in what else the Knights do, and they're very, very yeah. important, is is working with countries in which Christianity has been really decimated and, and suffering. And they go back to build, rebuild churches and help people who are yeah. suffering in persecuted areas of the world. Yeah. So it's, it's a lot of good work. And this is yeah. one of the elements. Okay. Um, I want to go back to uh, the politicians and communion. Um, what do you think the, polit- the Catholic politicians' responsibility should be when it comes time for communion? I think, well, I think it depends on the state of grace of, of them, just as any Catholic. Like, if they've knowingly created any type, done any mortal sins, that could be anything. That could be getting could be getting drunk. That could be extramarital affairs. That could be anything. It could be signing laws supporting abortion. Like, if that's the case, and you're and you're not um, in communion with the church on that issue for however extent of time, you didn't go to confession, you weren't, and you didn't plan to stop doing that, then when you go up for communion, I'll quote, you should respect that you're not following the tenets, but at least respect that you're still in God's presence. So um, go up for a blessing. That's that's kind of how I would put it. Okay, that's um, good. Because yeah. um, the, interesting, the question I asked was really applicable to every Christian, every Catholic, okay? Um, our, very traditional, very simple. Our faith indicates that in order for us to receive the Eucharist, which is Holy Communion at a Sunday Mass or any weekday Mass, um, we should be in a state of grace. Can everything Michael just explained would indicate a person is or is not in a state of grace. Now, when it's a private sin, nobody knows about it. Okay, that's between you and God, but you still should be in a state of grace. But the real problem we're having now is the public sins. See, the the millstone around the neck, scandalous sins. Yeah. When when a, a major uh, legal figure signs a bill promoting abortion. And the rest of the Catholics say, that's a scandal. So he or she is scandalizing the community. And that's a real, my recommendation for them would be to stay in your seat, don't make a big scene about it, and deal with that with your own conscience and your own priest. But yeah, that's 
only might. Yeah, no, that's that's I oh I definitely understand that. Um, but but I mean I think importance too is you know I think part of the uh, teaching is also they have to speak with their 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 parish priest. They have to speak with sure. the cardinals. Things like Excellent. that. I did hear one story that was interesting. Um, so when Andrew Cuomo some years ago had signed that really radical New York abortion, mm-hmm. bill, which mm-hmm. actually New Jersey just about almost mirrored this past year, um, people did tell me that he doesn't actually go up for communion anymore when he does oh. go to the service. So I did hear that. I mean, I wasn't actually present for any mass that he's been at, but I have heard that he doesn't actually go up mm. if he is at a mass. So, I mean, okay. I guess he recognizes that, you know, he has a different view on that issue. Well, and I respect him for that because he's not scandalizing the community. And I want to say it's nobody else's business that he stays in his pew. But it becomes our business yeah. when we see him up there yeah. because he's a public figure. Yeah. He's not just, yeah. you know, Joe Schmo around yeah, the corner. But he's looking at that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's, I think that's, that's the big issue. And I think, you know, also politicians and just as anybody should really do a deep deep soul search you know they shouldn't be so consumed with worldly interest because this also goes back to power shouldn't be consumed with, with worldly interest because this goes back to power and worldly interest egocentrism um you have to think to yourself you know look at the sonogram look at the pictures you know you know the teaching you know that there's cells there that become humans like once the point of the the sperm and egg came together the soul is there so it continues on and then you could see images of it you could see all those types of things and so that's that's just a biological and faithful understanding of the issue and you know i think some people go against you know their values that they may sympathize with or could have been taught because they just want the donations they want to stay in power they care about a legacy i mean Mm. and yesterday for example was the feast of saint thomas more and saint john fisher i actually am wearing saint thomas that my parents got me at my college um, graduation and you know it's inspiring saint thomas was inspiring for my faith journey and just think what he did, you know, he was okay. Willing to go and let the that uh, for this section. Yeah. Cl- that's a great way to close it, this section. Tell our audience um, what you remember about Thomas More. Okay, so so Thomas More, yeah, he had a very high position in the English um, government. Worked directly under Henry VIII. You know, was his first hand man, and uh, and um, Henry VIII um, had wanted to get a um, another divorce um, to to one of um, the. The, the queens or whatnot um one of his eight one queens. of his eight queens because <laughs> he wanted a male heir and so um he wanted thomas more to sign off on that and he and he wanted the pope to be okay with that and thomas more said no i'm not going to sign off on it and the, and the pope also would not allow that to happen because that's a violation of catholic teaching it still is to this day um so and so he ended up being martyred because he wouldn't do that um for, he martyred he was martyred first faith he was beheaded in the um in the tower and so we remember his his feast day yesterday you remember his legacy his 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 last words before he died that attributed to him the the king's servant yeah yeah yeah, the king's servant but but uh, god's God's first first. yeah so that that's a beautiful uh a beautiful remembrance of of him he he was such he's definitely one of our greatest saints and there's also another interesting um concept of thomas more that i learned from actually one of my professors in college when i invited him to speak for a law school event actually he was a really good theology professor in his presentation he talked about the relationship between thomas more and saint john the baptist hmm. the concept of a beheading he lost they lost their head for the sake of family 
values in oh. marriage. So it was very interesting how my professor yeah. um, brought that out, and I really have always That's pondered fast. that point yeah, since yeah, he yeah. brought it up to us in our event that we hosted him for. And, you know, St. John the Baptist's birthday is shortly after St. Thomas More's uh, mm. feast day. So it's just an interesting type of uh, way to recognize those two martyrs, you know. Yeah, so yeah. I just want people to recognize and that. And you tied into family values. That's yeah. very good because yeah. John was protesting Herod's yeah. uh, marrying his brother's wife. Yeah. And, of course, John protested that yeah. and lost his head. Lost his head. Because of Salome's dance, yeah, that's but, another story. But it was but, all connected to that, yeah. yeah family values. Yeah, family yeah. values, and they lose their head for it. So, I mean, it's... Uh, that's interesting. Yeah, it's something to think about, you know. Mm. These these saints are connected in a way. And Thomas More, I've always, you know, had such a devotion to him. When I was growing up, the church that my grandparents would take us to for daily Saturday Mass, If you know, when we slept over there on weekends, it would be St. Thomas More Church in Fairfield, New Jersey. Oh, So, wow. I grew up respecting Thomas More, and then... In college at St. John's, our church on campus is St. Thomas More. And my bar prep and all my whole college and law career there, I always would pray at St. Thomas More Excellent. Church and the Thank you. He's a beautiful saint. So I definitely a shout out to him. And I suggest anybody reads more up more about him. And Thomas More. Thomas a man Moore. for all seasons. Yes. And watch the movie, too. <laughs> <laughs> this has been Father Louis Skirty with another episode with Michael Benedetto the third. And we're sharing uh, a Catholic's perspective of legal issues related to the church, society, and individuality and our practicing of our faith. God bless you and join us for the next episode. And let me hear from you, fatherloosegurdy at hotmail.com. And we'll put Michael's uh, email and, and the groups he's associated with on the byline as we pass. God bless you.